We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Wednesday, August 28th, Nick Whalen back with John McKechnie. John, we actually had real college football games this past weekend. You and I uh, caught a slice of Miami, Florida, caught a little bit uh, of the Hawaii-Arizona game, um, but kind of want to talk more about the the showdown down south. Um, I thought Jaron Williams looked really good overall. I mean, obviously Miami didn't win this game, uh, but I think given how things played out, <clears throat> certainly the Florida secondary Gave Miami every opportunity to win this game down the stretch, um, but but all things considered, if you tell Miami fans you know, you're going to lose this game, obviously you'll you'll be very disappointed. Um, but for your you know inexperienced quarterback to look that impressive, to to look ahead of the schedule and not have another currently ranked team uh, on the schedule, you know, of course that could change as the season goes on. Um, as far as kind of ugly losses where you only score 20 points and 
Uh, you know, your, your quarterback only throws one touchdown and he has a QBR under 20. As far as those losses go, I, I still feel like Miami has to be relatively encouraged after that game. I think so, too. And I think the big takeaway is not only that, yeah, this game is out of the way now and, and their path is much clearer because I've, I'm skeptical on this, on how high the ceiling is for this Miami team. But when we were in Vegas last month and, and looking at their over under total, I think at a, at Caesars, it was eight and a half. And I'm like, you know, how, how is this a nine win team that mm-hmm. you can feel comfortable about, whether it's going to be Tate Martell or it's Jaron Williams. At that point, I would have, I would have said in Kosey Perry before I said Jaron Williams, but this defense really does show up. And I think that's yep. going to be something that keeps them in every game. And again, outside of that Florida game, the rest of the path is, is fairly easy so that I could see that that nine wins it's going to be an ugly nine wins sort of in the same way that they had a very ugly what 10 or 11 win season the year that they went to the orange bowl and got completely shown up by your Wisconsin Badgers um so there are some positive takeaways that offensive line is going to be a problem though all season uh Dan Enos was kind of a little bit too harsh, I thought, on Jaron Williams and his performance. He had a presser on Tuesday saying that he credited Williams with five of the ten sacks. Like, the, the, <laughs> so pretty rough there. Um, yeah, yeah, that was very strange, right? Like, you rarely see a coach be that direct, especially to a guy who's making his first career college start. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was not really pulling any punches. I guess he, you know, he taking it from the from the uh, Saban book a little bit there. Uh, you know, he was in Alabama last year and kind of left in the middle of the night to take this Miami job. Um, but I think the bigger takeaway is less that Miami's going to be a feisty team all year long. It's that, how are you feeling if you, if you were one of the people that said Florida's not going to finish the year in the top 10? You're probably feeling pretty good because they, re- they really should have rolled Miami and they gave Miami so many chances. If Miami was a slightly more quality team, they would have taken advantage and probably ended up winning that game. I think in the late third, early fourth quarter when the game was really uh, in its swing point, uh, Florida really gave, gave Miami every chance it could to, uh, to screw this one up. Couple Fair bad man. interceptions yeah. for Felipe Franks. One late in this game that that really you know on first down, beginning a drive yes. that you know I mean you can make the argument maybe you shouldn't even be passing in that situation, but there were over four minutes left, so you know you're not just going to run out the clock. Um, but essentially, that's the goal of that drive. You know, is get a first down or two, and, and this game is over. Um, they turn it back over to Miami, and you know just two horrific pass interference calls which of course the Florida cornerbacks you know argued to no end um but it was very clear I mean it was 10 out of 10 that time that is called yeah pass they lost interference. cool they had some bad penalties they had right. some bad personal foul penalties as well that yep. you could see Dan Mullen like ter- morphing into urban Ma- late yes. stage urban Meyer on the sidelines there with grabbing his temples and just being like, oh my god what is happening out here yeah I, I think while you can feel encouraged by this loss by Miami you know for Florida it just felt like they escaped you know a game that that they probably should have won by two or three scores yes um and you know coming off of a week one win against the University of Miami typically historically is a really big deal that sets you up for a great season but uh despite winning that game yeah you I, I didn't come away you know looking at Florida like this is a team that deserves to be ranked in the top 10 um you know certainly they'll have more chances to prove that as the season goes on and and the good thing for them is you get a tune-up game against Tennessee Martin next week um you're at Kentucky you know a team that's certainly not going to be at the level that it was last year um and then you're home to Tennessee home to Towson so your next like really big game or or game against a ranked opponent isn't until October uh when when Auburn comes to town but then you got to go to LSU the next week so we're going to find out uh pretty quickly once the month of October begins I think 
how real this Florida team is. And, you know, I, I think the nice thing is you get a couple tune-up games here over the next couple of weeks to, to clean up the things that really ended up hurting them against Miami. Yeah, they definitely need to need to fix some things. Um, I, I wonder how this backfield rotation is going to look in the long run. Like, Piran looked okay, but but not amazing. I think the, the big kind of, like, for fantasy purposes, that the star of this Florida offense should be uh, Kadarius Tony, he's really electric and it, some, there's just something about the fast guy wearing number one for Florida. Yep. It, it just works so well. And, and, uh, you know, his sort of, uh, backbreaking play to open the game that that 67 yard touchdown, really, really impressive. Um, so yeah, like, like you were saying, Florida's got some chances here to just kind of clean things up, go back, uh, to the drawing board there and get things figured out. Because I think that Tennessee game, if it was in Knoxville, I would officially be worried if I was Florida, yep. but this is going to be in the swamp. Um, so I think that they will be able to, to take care of business there, but Tennessee's going to be scrappy. They're going to be a tough out this year I, I, I don't care who you're playing or who they're playing against they're they're not going to be a fun 60 minutes to go against there so that'll be something to look out for but for, for at least until October until that Auburn game you figure that that Florida should be able to escape September unscathed what are your overall thoughts on Felipe Franks was I mean this kind this was kind of a same old Felipe Franks type of game you know, I mean, he's almost at 15 yards per completion, which is great. But, you know, he was 17 of 27. And again, I think the interceptions are almost what you have to focus on. You know, there was a lot of good uh, in this game from Felipe Franks. Didn't really get much going on the ground. Um, but the two picks, you know, the barking at the Miami fans, barking at teammates, not listening to coaches. I mean, th- these are the kind of things that I think when you turn over to a new season, you know, you kind of you, you kind of make this end point and say, OK, there's maybe a chance that player x will leave that in the past and then for it to all bubble right back up you know the first half of the first game of the year um that's another thing you know i think to monitor and that's not super encouraging um you know never to discourage someone to you know be an emotional player i I think in general that's that's lauded you know there are certain florida quarterbacks in the past who have been very emotional and very successful yeah and they have Uh, statues now right they do and this seems not quite like that you know it's not i think there's a there's a fine line between having it under control, using it to encourage teammates, build up, you know, internal hype, and then, you know, letting it affect your play on the field. And it's funny is, like, if you're Florida's PR, basically, or, or the message that they were kind of putting out this entire offseason, I think it, it all started with, this is a new and improved Felipe Franks. Yeah. This is, this is a, a mature guy that, you know, the the last few games that he had last year after the benching, I think it happened against Missouri when they kind of got pantsed at home in the swamp. Uh, you know, he finished the year really strong and they just kind of were going off that completely saying that he's this new and improved guy. He's, he's not going to make these immature mistakes, not these like cartoonish, like, you know, the kind of... Uh, low lights that you would put circus music to you would think that he had moved past that especially you know at this stage in his career but clearly uh, those mistakes are still going to be part of his game he's got the great arm he's got the cannon arm but it, it's always just like a, oh he's going deep and there is <laughs> there is no but who is he throwing it to you know so it's just yep. it's another one of those things where Florida's a very talented uh, group I'd say top to bottom but I think that he's going to prevent them from from you know winning the SEC East winning the SEC uh, taking this Florida team uh, to the college football playoff I think he's going to be be that sort of uh, deciding factor there unfortunately for them all right you want to talk DFS for Saturday yes please FanDuel or DraftKings first I'll, I'll, I'll let the dealer choose uh, let's lead off with uh, with DraftKings por favor all right I know you want to talk about Michael Penix he's at 6500 uh lefty redshirt freshman officially named the starter on monday uh for indiana i 
got to be honest with you, I've watched a lot of Indiana football over these last few years, watching a lot of Big Ten Network, a lot of those 11 a.m. kickoffs, a lot of those 2.30 kickoffs. I have not been impressed for the most part <laughs> with what I've seen from Indiana. Uh, why will Michael Penix be any different? Um, I think that that he's like the, this guy, he's coming off the injury from last year. He, he kind of had a chance to overtake Peyton Ramsey uh, last season. And now that, that he's fully healthy and was able to do this while kind of getting his knee all, you know, getting his health all the way back together, I think is really impressive. Um, and Indiana runs a scheme where it's not necessarily pretty as far as the way things look. Like you were mentioning there, it's it's aesthetically in line with what you'd expect from a, from a morning time yeah. Big Ten game. But Tough uniforms, too. They, it is, yeah. They, they can't really decide what they want to do there, and Adidas, I guess. But um, he's He's big, he's he's fast, he's mobile, um, and I think that he's going to be throwing it a lot, and he's got a lot of good receivers around him that are veterans. I mean, Nick Westbrook and Donovan Hale, I think they're both fifth-year uh, receivers, and then uh, Wap Fillier is another guy who's pretty reliable out of the slot there. So I think there's going to be room for a lot of easy production here, and if you look at, at the DraftKings pricing, uh, they had Peyton Ramsey as the third-priced quarterback in this, so that basically was a tacit endorsement on DraftKings' part that whoever starts for Indiana in this game, and we think it's going to be Peyton Ramsey, is going to light it up because we're playing against Ball State um, in, a, in a neutral site. It's going to go pretty well, so I think, yeah, this is the, the Phoenix Palooza, and it begins on <laughs> Saturday, so I, I love him as a building block at 6,500. I'm going to use him mm. in my... In most of my super flexes i know that i i have him in my uh in my 10k whiteout single entry i, I am going to be using him uh in that so that's just my confidence in in mm. uh in the phoenix man right i mean as you said um the pricing is is a little bit for lack of a better term wonky uh because he didn't know he would be the starter uh, but you can get him for the same price as you can get ohio state's backup yeah that's awesome yeah like, so that, if you're if you're looking to to pivot away from the tuas and the justin fields of the world um, I'm with you on that. Looking at the Alabama game, this is the one I want to watch the most. Um, you know, it's probably not going to be a great game. I don't, I don't expect Duke to put up much of a fight, but I'd love watching this Alabama offense, and I think most people do. However, they'll be without uh, a few of their key guys: Najee Harris, Brian Robinson, Devontae Smith, I believe, as well. Um, is this really clarified? What's you know what's happening, or how long they'll be suspended? It sounds like we were expecting they'll be they'll be out for at least the first half. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be up to a half. So it, you know, if things maybe get a little bit crazy during the second quarter, maybe we could see uh, Harris or Robinson get in this game. But yeah, coming in this this looked like a spot where Najee Harris was going to need all of like 15 carries to to absolutely crush his value there against this Duke defense. Uh, now you can't really bet on that. So this this Alabama backfield and the approach to it, I think is going to be one of the bigger stories of, of how this slate ends up shaking out. I'm just not going to go after it. I, I think that there's just enough there to where I'm, I just don't really see Najee Harris getting more than like 10 carries. I think Robinson is going to be capped to like seven, eight carries as well. Um, they do have a freshman that's going to be, you know, very uh, chalky. I think that they could be getting all of the carries in the first half. And that's uh, Keelan Robinson um, out of freshman out of St. John's in DC. Um, he's a low four star, like, you know, somewhere in the nineties, if you're looking on, on 24 seven, uh, pretty promising looking highlight tape from, from what I looked at this morning, but all of that highlight tape always looks phenomenal, but he looks like an Alabama running back. So he should be able to be taking care of business here. But I do think that maybe this, this maybe makes you reshift your, 
uh, your interest in this Alabama passing game and maybe the fact that this game could be slightly more competitive, keep two on the field a little bit longer. I think two is going to have a huge game along with uh, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, and uh, Jalen Waddell as well. Yeah, I was just going to ask that. I mean, in in theory, you know, this probably doesn't impact much. Although it's interesting, I think that you know the the suspensions are worded very carefully. You know, we're not we're not ruling them out just in case. You know, there something goes crazy and all of a sudden it's fourteen nothing Duke going into the second quarter. You know, Nick Saban does reserve the right to bring in his suspended players early. Um, (laughs) Yep. But yeah, I mean, in the end of it, you know, not having Najee Harris, you know, maybe let's say that you lose out on one touchdown that you would have had in the first half. Maybe that means one more series for Tua in the third quarter or early in the fourth quarter, whenever that is. Not having Devontae Smith for that half, you know, I think that makes you love a guy like Jerry Judy even more, makes you love Henry Ruggs even more, maybe bumps up someone like Jalen Waddle, who to me is kind of a, you know, I wouldn't quite say boomer bust, but just more of, you know, that guy you're hoping for the home run you know, three catches, 120 yards type of guy, not not someone who's going to haul in 11 passes. Exactly, yeah. So he's basically, you know, the the uh, uh, slightly contained version of Jerry Judy because we, right. we talked about Jerry Judy before where you look at this Alabama offense and the way it functions. Judy rarely has over six catches in, in, a, in a given game just because they don't need it, but usually he's able to return more than enough with, with those six catches. Mm-hmm. So Waddle plays the same position on, on the field as Judy so when, whenever Judy need, needs a, a you know a bit of rest there um, you figure that Waddle's going to step right in and also with Devontae Smith being suspended maybe they can move move things around and make Waddle a little bit more featured in this offense so Waddle like you're saying a little bit boomer bust but I, I, I lean more towards the boom uh, this week week one going against Duke so we'll get into some of the value plays, you know, at each of the key positions in a little bit. But just overall, what are the games that you are you're going to target, maybe in you know mini stacks on on these slates? Um, I do like uh, the Ole Miss uh, Memphis game. That's one that's going to be. Uh, like it's gonna be hot. It's in Memphis uh, this time of year. It's just crazy down there. The over/under is setting at sixty-seven and a half, uh, with a pretty narrow spread. Ole Miss road dogs actually five and a half, um, and. Uh, Norvell, I think it's Mike Norvell at Memphis. Uh, he was talking, and Ole Miss and Memphis are very close to each other geographically. Like if you're going to fly to get to Ole Miss, you you go in through Memphis's airport. Uh, and he he said in the press yesterday, like a lot of the a lot of these guys in my locker room, Ole Miss said no to. So it's going to be heated. It's going to be an absolute battle. I, I'm actually very excited for this game. Classic for the chippiness. motivational tactic. I, I I'm motivated. I'm stoked right now just <laughs> thinking about it. But I think that there's there's a lot to like on both sides of this one. I think you started the quarterback on both. I think I might have mentioned this last time uh, that we were talking about this slate, but I think there there is a way of going after Matt Corral, the Ole Miss quarterback, and also Brady White in this one as, as your quarterback and super flex, and going from there. Uh, Scotty Phillips, the, the running back for Ole Miss, is going to be interesting just because Memphis, pretty shaky as far as their run defense tends to go. Um, and then Ole Miss's defense, it's it's also pretty pretty shaky there. I think they have uh, McIntyre, who was uh, Colorado's old head coach. They they got fired this past offseason. I think that he's in charge of that group, and I, I don't think that's a particularly exciting hire. So I think this Ole Miss defense could lag a little bit behind. I think Memphis could have the edge uh, there. So Pat. Uh, Patrick Taylor, very int- intriguing. Uh, he's very high priced, though, of course. So you're going to have to, you know, kind of work your uh, lineup around him to because he is the most expensive running back, I believe, at, at 8,500. 
but I like his backup, uh, Tim Taylor, as well. And then as far as the, the passing game is concerned, I think you could look at guys like uh, DeMonte Coxie is, is really impressive at 7,800. Um, and then the, the Ole Miss guys, Braylon Sanders and Elijah Moore, they're, they're priced very similarly. They can do similar things. I kind of tend to go more towards Elijah Moore. I think that he might get a little bit more targets, and that's a little bit more valuable uh, on DraftKings. So that, that's the way I would approach uh, this passing game for, for these sides. North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, I believe this is the highest over-under of the weekend of any game involving an SEC team, uh, which is a little bit strange. I, I would have guessed that maybe the Bama game would push that up, but you know, maybe not expecting a whole lot of output on the Duke end in that one. Um, thoughts on Sam Howell, freshman quarterback, North Carolina? Um, you know, he's a, he's a guy that I like for for season long. I think that, you know, they're, they're going to be instil- installing an offense that should work for him. And, you know, I think it's pretty telling that he was able to beat out some guys that, that had been there for a little while waiting their turn uh, at UNC. But I think also the new coaching staff kind of turned fresh eyes to that entire quarterback group. But are you really going to start a true freshman in a neutral site game against an SEC team? I don't know, man. I, I don't think that I would go that way. And I think that UNC's scared, defense dude? might not do any favors for him. What's that? So you're scared, dude? <laughs> I'm, I, he's I w- at 6,200 for reference. He is. So, I mean, just just go the Penix, man, for, yeah. for 6,500. <laughs> just do that. It, I got to ask you, is it pronounced Penix? I I'm, tried to listen I'm going to, with Penix until I'm told otherwise. I listened otherwise. to a presser today uh, you know, with the head coach, and I could not, for the life of me, I played it back. I had, I had both headphones in. I was, like, crunching them into my ears, and I could not catch how he pronounced he definitely it. did that on purpose too he kinda, you know, yeah he kind of stumbled on it's it it's always like, going to be amorphous yeah so i mean we can go phoenix. with phoenix if you want i just think that might lead to some you know maybe some lost in translation type of issues here very possible um but we so can blame tom allen we would and i will i always do um <laughs> but as far as the the rest of this game from a from a dfs perspective goes i think that there's a lot to like um in this south carolina passing game specifically i think brian edwards is is you know due to kind of take off uh this year we saw Debo Samuel last year command, I think, 22% of the target share while, while Edwards had closer to 20. Uh, there isn't a Debo Samuel there anymore, obviously. So I think Edwards kind of bumps up to maybe like upwards of 25% of those targets there. Um, and the guys behind him, Shai Smith and Ortre Smith, are both pretty interesting. And they're both under 6,000. So they're nice kind of mid-range mid-range options uh, that are going to be starting. And I think that this is a South Carolina team that, unlike most SEC teams, functions mostly out of the passing game first. That That's what they want to kind of get going and establish first. And it makes sense. They have a pretty mediocre group of running backs and a very experienced uh, quarterback in Jake Bentley who feels like he's been there for forever now. And this mm-hmm. is obviously his true senior season now. So really comfortable in that offense. And I think that with him and Brian Edwards, I – uh, there is a way to get Brian Edwards and Jerry Judy into a lineup, and I've, uh, it's something that I endorse. I think that uh, mm-hmm. going after the pricey receivers there, I think that there's enough uh, value running backs potentially uh, to make that work. So I, I like them, but if you wanted to pivot off of, of Edwards, uh, Shai Smith or, or Trey Smith w- would also mm-hmm. be interesting. Yeah, one note on Shai Smith. I mean, didn't do much against Georgia early on last year, struggled a little bit against Florida, but best game of the year came against Clemson. I mean, they put South Carolina put up 35 at Clemson. He had nine catches, 109 yards, and a score in that game. Yeah, so keep an eye on for him. He's a talented player, and, and again, the the, uh, the Gamecocks go to the air, I'd say, more than, more than most teams. And again, this is a high implied over-under here. Um, I think it'll be back and forth a little bit there. I think South Carolina should carry this game, 
but you know, I, I think that Shy Smith is an interesting uh, kind of fade off of Edwards or, or just a way to round out uh, the rest of your lineup. All right, let's get to some values on DraftKings. Um, I mean, we're going to start with the guy who's under 3,500, Demario McCall, Ohio State. Um, you know, this is one of those games, much like Alabama, that you expect to be out of hand fairly early. Um, so, you know, you, you can maybe give your thoughts on, on J.K. Dobbins and, and what you expect from him and whether he's worth it. But if you're looking for a guy behind Dobbins who might play, you know, up to a full half in this game as Ohio State starting running back, um, you know, I, I think McCall could be the guy. I, I really like McCall this week. Uh, he's already been kind of announced as that number two back behind Dobbins. That we don't really know exactly what's going on with Master Teague. And as great as it would be for Master Teague to be that number two guy, just given uh, how highly rated of a recruit he was, given his name, yeah. yeah, and how awesome his name is. So, you know, I was pulling for that, but it looks like McCall's going to be the guy. And McCall is someone that, if you ask an Ohio State fan, you know, like who who's going to be the guy that that goes off this year that's under the radar. He seems to always be that answer, but he hasn't really gotten the chance yet. He hasn't had more than or his freshman year when he had 49 carries was the most uh, work he's had in, in a single season. But he was still able to put up uh, 270 yards and three touchdowns in that span. And then last year, pretty impressive out of the backfield on 10 targets. He turned that into nine catches for 110 yards. So really like kind of shifty, explosive. He's a smaller guy, but I think that pass catching upside that he brings to the table, um, especially on DraftKings where it's where it's full point PPR, um, that's definitely definitely something to consider and, and again he's he's only 3400 that really opens up a lot of room for you especially if you can feel like he's going to be viable to you know put up upwards of 15 points on DraftKings which I, which I kind of do at this stage there so he's a really nice uh, way way of uh, stacking the rest of your lineup another running back uh Ricky Person in the NC State East Carolina matchup that one's at NC State first year starter at quarterback for for NC State I mean is there a little bit of concern where you know they just kind of want to play it safe get out of this game with a win keep the ball on the ground and and that could mean a lot of carries for person I think I think so you know we we need to keep a little bit of a, of more of an eye on person because he was one of the more highly recruited rec- uh, rated recruits that uh, NC State has had at the running back position uh, in recent years. Uh, pretty impressive player, but he hasn't really quite like gone off yet. So I think we're going to need to see a little bit more of a commitment to him. But at 5,700, you're choosing between him and uh, Zonovan Knight, I believe his is uh, Zonovan. Zonovan, yes, That's like awesome. Donovan, but with his but Gen Z. Okay. Um, so he's 5,500. So that that kind of implies that DraftKings thinks that these guys are going to have fairly even uh, workload splits. But I think both. Both could work out theoretically if, um, you know, I'll probably make enough lineups to have exposure to both because again, like you, like you were mentioning there, this NC state passing game, Ryan Finley's gone. Uh, Matthew McKay, we don't really know a ton about him uh, yet. This is going to be his first start. And East Carolina is not like a great defense by any means. And they got a new coaching staff in their own right. So I expect NC State to win this one. Um, but I, I think that they are going to do most of their damage on the ground. And I, I think both Person and Knight could be big parts of that. I, I just don't think that ECU is going to be offering up a ton of resistance in, in the run game. And I think that they're going to be focusing on the run game if you're NC State. So maybe I maybe I'm misreading this, but I see there are not one but two Ball State receivers that you may be interested against this Indiana team. Yes, it it mostly speaks to how narrow the target 
tree is at Ball State. Like uh, when it comes to Riley Miller and Justin Hall, they both went for over 100 targets last year. And that's just so valuable on DraftKings. And they have really high catch rates, both of them, you know, both into the 60s um, as far as their catch rates are concerned. So you, you figure that's just cheap production. Indiana is not the best defense. You figure that they, they might let in a score or two or three during the course of, of Saturday's game. So with that, it's it's not really that I, that I love either of these guys' talents necessarily. I just think that the way that that offense is shaped, those two guys are going to be seeing so many of the targets. Uh, I wish it was Johannes Tyler because he has a cool name too. But yeah, this this, this Indiana game hand, has honestly. an insane game. Like Ty Freifogel, uh, Wap Fillier. There's just so oh, many. You say Wap? Yes, Wap Fillier. Uh, I think he's their starting slot guy. Yeah, he's. You got to be kidding. There's me. just so much cool name recognition in Wap. in this in this Indiana uh, Ball State game. It's it might just be worth watching for that alone. But again, uh, Miller and, and uh, Justin Hall are two guys to. To, to potentially consider. I think Miller, probably the better option, maybe a little bit more touchdown upside uh, th- than Justin Hall, but I think both can at least make it work for their given price tags. What was that name that we were taking a look at? Oh, DeColdis Crawford coming up. <laughs> yes, I think yeah, he's the high school recruit. Class of 2022, so he's not really on the full you know, recruiting radar right now. It's just kind of some lower level uh, schools down south that are looking at him. But uh, yeah, if you have a chance on 247, DeColdis Crawford. I, th- I think that's in by far number one and early number one for the best name in the class of 2022. Yeah, I mean, that might be the best name I've heard, period, since the days of Kobe Buffalo meet from a few years yeah. ago. Well, th- I mean, that one, that's an all, that's it's, a that's first Pantheon. ballot, like all decade. That <laughs> One of these times we'll put together an all name decade team. But you got to think about it. My first thought when I saw that name is like the foresight that you must have as that, as that guy's parents. You know, I mean, he's like 15 right now. So like back in like 2003 or 2004, they were already like, this kid's going to be a big recruit. We need to make sure and plan for that. We need to account for that. We need to know that what the recruiting landscape right. is going to look like <laughs> in the future. We also predicted Facebook. He's going to be better than Buffalo Me. <laughs> yeah. All right. DeColdis. It, yeah, it is just incredible that I was taken aback at my desk when I saw that. <laughs> uh, let's switch over to FanDuel. Uh, I know you want to load up on Nebraska, a team that I just really don't want to be good but I feel like the, the clock is ticking on on a team like Wisconsin that's had it so good in that in that division of the Big Ten with a lot of these schools being down Nebraska uh, given the way that they've recruited to begin the Scott Frost era I think it's only a matter of time I, I know last year a lot of people thought you know they weren't going to be a, an obvious you know a, a playoff contender or anything like that but I think the 0-6 start was not expected um, and you know it's, it kind of was delayed a little bit but they had some good showings at the end of last year they played Ohio State tough and you know now we're kind of right back to square one where we were last year Um, but a lot of these guys you know have a little bit of experience gained in 2018 so I know you're looking at this as a stack Um, you know Martinez Wandale Robinson um, is there anyone else from this Nebraska offense that you're considering yes Um, so yeah just leading off like Martinez is someone that it's going to be very hard for me to make a lineup that doesn't feature him I I think that Nebraska they're not going to put on the brakes at all during this game. I think that they they want to go out there and hang 60. I think they want to go up go out there and and live up to the to the hype uh, that everyone's giving them or, or to to maybe silence uh, the Nick Whalen doubters out there. Scott Frost <laughs> is listening of course. Um, but yeah, Martinez is is definitely a great way of starting out uh, your lineups especially in cash games or, or you know, tournaments where you want to maybe separate yourself with, with your second quarterback. Um, but Martinez, great building block there. And yeah, when it comes to Wandale Robinson, he's somebody that I believe was committed to Kentucky. And the, the parallels here are interesting. I'll get to them here in a second. Please do. Um, 
he was committed to Kentucky, really like the like I think Mr. Football in the state of Kentucky ends up flipping to to Nebraska and it was kind of a shocker to the entire state of Kentucky. Uh, you know who was another and he has uh, he was an all-purpose back with pass catching ability. So now he's going to be starting at receiver. He's already won a starting job at receiver uh, for Nebraska. Another guy from the state of Kentucky that kind of is smaller had a kind of questionable position as to what he was going to be at the next level that that dominated right away is Rondale Moore uh, at Purdue. So I'm not saying that this is going to be quite Rondale Moore territory, but Better not be. I think Wandale Robinson is going to have a huge game this weekend. Do you think it, the fact that his name rhymes with Rondale has anything to do with this? Honestly, my brain <laughs> is smooth enough to where, yeah, that probably that probably factored into it. Yeah. But I, I've been hearing about this guy since he flipped from Kentucky or, or since Kentucky, mm-hmm. I think, even landed him. So um, now that he's at Nebraska and that they've been – They've done nothing to like put the lid on, on his hype train. Like they are, they are always talking about how effing good this guy is and how well he fits into the offense and how quickly he's picked everything up. And you know, we we don't really know what what's going on with Maurice Washington's situation. I think he is going to play. Um, he has a very not great sounding legal battle going on in his hometown in California. Um, but it sounds like he's going to play th- this week. So I don't know how many carries necessarily Robinson is going to garner. And th- that also knocks down uh, Dedrick Mills's projection just a little bit in that backfield. But Wandale Robinson, someone that I'm going after. And then J.D. Spielman, I know he's expensive, but that guy's a stud and he already has a lot of uh, rapport with, with Adrian Martinez. So th- I think that those three guys, Robinson, Spielman and Martinez is one of my one of my lineup stacks that I'm definitely locking in. So a lot of hype around Wandale Robinson, but the price has not caught up yet? No, not yet. I think that we just didn't really know that he was going to be a starter. We didn't know that he was going to be a starter at, at receiver specifically. Um, but yeah, everything has set up that way. And I think uh, Kanai Noah um, from Cal um, is going to be that number three receiver for, for Nebraska. So he's interesting as well. But I think Robinson and Spielman bring the touchdown upside potentially. And Robinson just he beats that that $6,500 price tag. You know, if he's a trap, then then I fell for it hook, line, and sinker because there's no way from what I've read and what I've seen that, that this guy is going to be, you know, a, a one catch for three yards type of guy. Looking at that Texas-Louisiana Tech game, that's a, one of the late games on Saturday night. Uh, two Texas backs uh, are priced above 7000 on FanDuel, Keontae Ingram, Jordan Whittington. Um you know, Ingram is the one who's priced at $2,200 more, which of course would imply that, um, you know, he's the number one back in the system. But I know you're a little bit concerned. He's kind of banged up right now heading into week one. Yes, this whole Texas backfield is actually in, in quite a bit of trouble. And obviously, they'll be able to get by Louisiana Tech without uh, too much of a problem. So uh, Ingram suffered a, a bone bruise in his knee in the around the middle of fall camp. So you got to wonder if he's fully ready to go. And there. Texas had to go ahead and transfer their uh, third string quarterback to running back earlier this week because they, the number three and number four running backs uh, on that roster are both going to be missing this game. So Whittington kind of becomes like the only truly uh, healthy running back that they have. And he's kind of been one of their prized possessions of this recruiting class. They, they were very stoked to have him. He was just outside 
um, of a five-star ranking, uh, one of the best running backs in this class. And he's, you know, according to Tom Herman, he's really picked up uh, the offense extremely well. So you got to figure that he's going to be seeing a lot of playing time. And at 7,100, especially if I'm going expensive uh, with my quarterbacks and receivers, that's some really, really nice uh, cap relief. He's actually cheaper on, on FanDuel than Demario McCall. So maybe FanDuel caught up to the McCall hype a little bit earlier. But I do like Whittington a lot. It also makes me wonder, because the the overall running back picture of this Texas team heading into this week is so shaky, I wonder if they're going to lean on Ellinger to be more of a runner and use him at the goal line a little bit more. So maybe that ups Ellinger's touchdown, rushing touchdown projection as well. Well, even if this game gets out of hand, you know, which at some point it likely will, you know, Texas is not going to be throwing the ball all over the place to begin the fourth quarter. And you probably don't want to run your running back who has a bone bruise, you know, just to just to bleed out the clock. So I, I think they might be in a situation where even though maybe you don't want to run Whittington either, you know, if he's kind of your 1A running back or 1B running back in this game, you don't want to run Keonta Ingram. You might not have another choice. Exactly. And you probably don't want to be pounding Sam Ellinger either. So I, I think the lesser of those three evils is probably Whittington. So if it, maybe there's an argument that he's productive in the first half. And then by default, if this is a two or three score game or, or even more in the third and fourth quarter, you know, he, he just kind of has to get that mop up duty work as well. Exactly. So I think that the volume will be there enough to where, you know, he's able to to easily um, hit his value at, at a 7100 price tag, which is pretty nice, all things considered, when he could end up, you know, leading the Longhorns and rushing against Louisiana Tech. Um, and that, that'll be a fun game to kind of sweat out because, it, you know, I will have a lot of Whittington and that that one doesn't kick off until uh, <clears throat> seven o'clock central time so we'll have some results in hand before that and that that texas game is going to swing a lot of lineups so much like me i I think you will be avoiding the virginia pittsburgh game this weekend yes i assume a lot of viewers will be avoiding that as well it's going to be like extremely low scoring I, i forget what the what the um what the implied total is but it's going to be ugly anytime that Pitt is involved that's just kind of the nature of of how that goes um no offense to Pitt, really i think i think that Pitt kind of likes that but the over under <laughs> um is 46 and a half I mean Pitt is going to be playing a, a ball possession type of type of game with Kenny Pickett they don't want him throwing the ball especially when Virginia has a cornerback in Bryce Hall that's arguably the best cornerback in the country they do not want anything to do with him so they're going to be keeping it on the ground um, with A.J. Davis but I don't think they're going to get super far I think Virginia's defense will, will be enough to slow down Pittsburgh again and over under under 47 for this one it, that just shows that there's not going to be a lot and then Virginia's only favored by two and a half because I believe they are going to be on the road there so I think Bryce Perkins is is someone that's an obvious trap this week. I think that the, just the overall tempo and, and the low scoring in this game, as much as I love Bryce Perkins and as much as he might be able to bolster his overall production with the rushing because they, they don't have good running backs. They, they lost uh, Jordan Ellis this past year and, and uh, Olamide Zacchaeus was a guy that they could pick up some of the rushing workload in sort of like a, a wildcat uh, type of way. So Perkins might... That's why I like Perkins in the long term for this year. But starting off at Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. it's just uh, and that field is always chewed up for s- somehow it could be like, the, you know, they just laid down fresh sod and it's already just falling apart. So yep. I just I think that one's going to get dragged into the mud. And I don't like Virginia um, to do much for, for DFS purposes. I, I, maybe I'm just still colored by like the Grayson Lambert era of, of Virginia football. But I 
they're so low on like the the high major teams that if they're on at 11 a.m like they always they're playing north carolina for like the fourth time that year yep. it's like i want nothing to do <laughs> with this game whatsoever uh also kenny pickett not a good name for a quarterback that that's that kind of scares me you know that's like blew it for a kicker oh my um, god yeah it is your, your, your ceiling is only so pit. high yeah like you have to consider like you know like an actor like changing your name at some point i still like have the and it's much to my detriment but the the memory lodged in my head of him making his first career start the day after Thanksgiving two years ago and spoiling Miami's perfect season. I yep. could, if, well, like there were two people in the stands <laughs> on that Friday afternoon, Friday morning in Pit in dreary Pittsburgh. Can you explain to me? I mean, I I know about Bryce Hall. You know, even just from looking at NFL draft stuff, he's obviously kind of a, a mid to late first round prospect. How did he? end up at virginia was he this good as a recruit how did he become this good at a school like virginia like how how did this happen virginia has sneakily recruited well on the defensive side of the ball in in recent years and i, I can't fully explain it but i, I think juan thornhill uh, who got drafted this year i believe he went to virginia not virginia mm-hmm. tech i hope i'm hope i'm getting that right but they also had you know a, a bunch of other guys that they're escaping me but i think in the class of like 2014 or 2015 they had two like top 30 defensive recruits so i don't know how exactly they're working that magic may i think they have to be kind of local guys um that they're that they're able to keep home and maybe capitalize on on like if virginia tech's having a down year they might have the the advantage um over there and i I think also virginia is probably a more fun school to go to than virginia tech so that's a selling point but again it's it's not a football powerhouse by any means so it is kind of amazing that they've been able to get nfl caliber talents there consistently on defense these last few years so thornhill did go to virginia one good job by you nice um Bryce Hall, according to 247, was like the 2,200th ranked recruit in the country. He was outside of the top 200 among cornerbacks. His other offers were from Albany, Coastal Carolina, Delaware State, Duquesne, and New Hampshire. Wow. So, I mean... So, he really came out of nowhere. Kudos to Virginia for, for, you know, mining that talent and and really, really making something out of it because a lot of people really do like to project him in, in that first round for next year. Yeah, maybe look at that Virginia... Uh, D-backs coach as a potential um, head coach someday yeah Um, on the list we need to address the Michigan game Uh, you know a lot of talent obviously is going to be on the field for Michigan Um, but you you look at that backfield situation very much unclear tough to read Um, I I think this will be you know they're they're always a fun team to watch I think just because of the style that they play the athletes that are on the field but for DFS purposes somewhat of a stay away in week one I think so it's going to be you know I think Harbaugh in his ideal world, like especially like when he first got started at Michigan, he loved to just rotate. You know, I remember being like the Big Ten like raps guy for, for uh. back then, and I would have to write up like eight different guys that, that carried the ball yep. uh, just because he was going so deep in it. And like, uh, I think at one point he had a fullback that had ten carries for nine yards and eight uh, touchdowns on the season. Yeah. It's just insanity. I don't even know how that worked, um, but. I think that they're going to, and they do have a stable. They don't have a Karan Higdon, or at least yet. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be hoping that Zach Charbonnet is is that guy, and he's their highest recruited uh, running back. Uh, he's a true freshman. He's the, the shiny new toy at Michigan. So everyone's going to be hoping that he makes a splash play in this one, and he certainly has the talent to do so, especially against, you know, effing Middle Tennessee State. But, uh, you know, when, when when Christian Turner and True Wilson are also going to be out there, I just think that maybe that you, you're putting yourself at risk there of a bust uh, when it comes to Charbonnet for, for week one. I think in tournaments, um, he might be a guy that, that some people fancy themselves as uh, separating themselves from the field, but he's going to be everybody's favorite freshman, I think. Mm-hmm. 
to back your point up uh, on Harbaugh, in 2016, Michigan had 20 different players carry the ball Dear God. in a game. <laughs> yeah, that, that, there, there was a name that I was trying to think of who was just like the poster boy for that, Ty Isaac. Yes. Like, heard about him as a recruit. It's like, this guy's going to be awesome. He was always in a timeshare with Davion Smith, I think, was one of the guys back then. Yes. Yep. Derek Green. Yeah, well, they, they used to get Jabril Peppers involved, which never quite worked out. That was like an NCAA football video game move of like, we're going to try <laughs> and get this guy the Heisman. Maybe we'll, we'll toss him a goal line carry here and there to, to bump him up, give him a touchdown. Yes. Um, the biggest game of the weekend, I think, by far, other than Wisconsin, South Florida on Friday, is Auburn, Oregon. Great game, much like the Michigan game. You know, this one probably even to a more extreme degree, you know, the most fun game to watch, the most, you know, the game that maybe has the most future implications for the rest of the year. There's been a lot of talk about what it means, not only for Oregon, but for the Pac-12 as a whole, as like, this is like a make or break, you know, like we're either, we're either back or we're sentenced to 10 more years of hard labor <laughs> on the West Coast, um, which I do wonder, like, I, I think the, the college game day or uh, college football live guys have been hammering that point all week that we've been watching in the office. And like, that's a lot of pressure on Oregon. Like I do wonder is like, is the PAC 12 commissioner like in their ear, you know, letting them know, like you guys really need to win this, not only for yourselves, but for us. That does feel like a PAC 12 commissioner right. uh, thing to do. That guy, that guy is <laughs> Thinks a he's motivating them. But. Yeah. He's just do, doing more harm than good constantly. Yeah. I mean like no, nobody loves their, their conference commissioner, right. but, but that PAC 12 guy, that guy <laughs> beloved is, conference commissioner. Dear Lord, man, that guy, that guy puts his foot in his mouth mm-hmm. and, and all of his policies are bad. But, um, yeah, when it comes to this, I mean, if you put it put it down, uh, Oregon's either the the first or the second best team in, in this conference, right? And Auburn is what like fifth, sixth in the yeah. SEC, probably coming into this year. So, yeah, if your best isn't isn't better than the middle 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 of the pack team of the SEC, then that's a that's a pretty decent measuring stick there of where you probably are. And if fair or not, and like I think this game is going to have one of the best inter-unit clashes of of this entire weekend between the Oregon offensive line which is built like an SEC offensive line all 300 pound guys all with at least seven starts under their belts going against an Auburn defensive line that um, brings back everybody and it brings back you know some guys especially Derek Brown that are going to be uh, future NFL draft picks so that that war in the trenches is going to be awesome to watch on both sides um, whether they can pressure Justin Herbert or not. Um, and speaking of Herbert, I know that he's 9,500 on this slate. I don't like him against this this Auburn defense. I think that he's going to be you know, missing some we- weapons potentially. I think losing Micah Pittman, even though he was a freshman, I think that that hurts um, kind of a reliable guy out of the slot there. Um, for Oregon and Herbert, you know, hasn't really played that great against good teams yet in his career. I know everybody wants to make make him out to be this, you know, the star in the making and everything. And he's got the tools to do it, but haven't seen him put it together yet. And I think this is a big stage. So he could either shut me up or I will keep, you know, saying that, you know, he hasn't done it yet. If you had to choose between him and Shea Patterson, they're at 9,500 and 9,400 respectively. Who would you take? Um, I'll go Patterson. I think Patterson's going to put up some cheap production, and, and they got a new offensive coordinator. They, they got uh, the guy from Alabama that, that was the co-offensive coordinator down there. I think they're going to open things up a little bit more at Michigan, and his receivers are ridiculously, if, if nothing else, talented. I mean, uh, Tariq Black, um, he's not the first one that should have come 
you know, come up there. It's, it's Nico Collins and, and Donovan Peoples Jones, but those guys are going to be just absolutely dwarfing whoever's trying to cover them on Middle Tennessee. It's going to be kind of pathetic to watch, but mm-hmm. Patterson can really just kind of throw it up there, and, and those guys are going to be able to take care yep. of business. So, um, you know, I think there there is a cheap touchdown in play for for either Collins or Peoples Jones, and I also think that Patterson will will outscore Herbert pretty safely this weekend. All right, a few news items uh, before we get to just a real grab bag of college football and hard knocks talk. Dylan yes. Moses, um, did, th- did this happen this morning or, l- or late last night? It, it happened at practice yesterday, Ugh. and, and uh, the reports came out this morning. I don't know if we've even gotten official confirmation quite yet. It might be happening as we're recording uh, from Nick Saban, but you know we've seen this play out across every sport. Almost never do 20 beat reporters tweet, looks like a torn ACL, done for the year, and then an hour later, it's like, oh, he's actually fine. We were all wrong. So, I mean, at this point, it seems like Alabama's going to be without arguably its best defensive player. Um, for- I, I think at least in the uh, in the linebacking core, for sure. Yeah. He was supposed to kind of take that next step this year. And, and, you know, you hear all the reports or the guys that watch some of his sophomore or freshman year film, and they talk about how he just looks different. He moves different than all these other Alabama guys who are all studs in their own right. So um, for him, for Alabama to kind of be losing the quarterback of their defense, a la CJ Mosley or, or anybody along those lines, I think that's a huge loss for them, especially when it's compounded with the fact that they were, I think they were going to start another freshman next to him. And he's also out for the season. So they're really banged up. In, in the linebacking core there yeah. so luckily they still have a really good defensive line to kind of yeah. you know if, if keep any things team from reaching that storm. second level yeah exactly yeah i mean i'll say it though i'm not afraid it this sucks i mean anytime you lose somebody like He's that a guy be. who is five-star recruit in the class of 2017 he was the 32nd ranked player in the country by 247 um and any of the early mocks that you that you look at i mean a guy who is projected pretty much anywhere in like the 10 to 30 range so i guess you know we've we've seen other players come back from worse you know i, I think the jalen smith um oh yeah emergence and you know him signing that contract last week i would hope you know kind of bodes well for guys like this who suffer injuries that are probably not even as serious as jalen smith i mean his was as bad as it gets essentially and you know has proven well worth the gamble so i mean obviously it's it's a a horrible development for alabama and even worse development for, for dylan moses personally but you would think he'll, he'll still get his nfl opportunity in the long term yeah definitely it's just a matter of have we seen the last of moses in an Alabama uniform because there is a good chance if he's like good to go or the knee is progressing well in in January he could easily just leave school because he is eligible this year yep uh we have some huge news out of Madison that is shaking the city Jack Cohn officially named the starter this was not really all that not all that much of a surprise at all um they haven't really committed to Graham Mertz as the backup in fact the way that I've kind of read it it sounds like they might not really want to use him all that much this year you know if they if they can redshirt him mm-hmm. not have to burn that I think that would be great um, but the hope is that Jack Cohn can kind of pilot this team and you know I, I I think this is probably going to be the worst Wisconsin team of the last seven or eight years you know you have Jonathan Taylor obviously which which and you know him combined with that offensive line keeps you at a certain level but I want to say there's only two or three senior starters on this entire team on both sides so you know I, I think it's a team that hopefully doesn't lose too much this next kind of this next turn and then you know kind of returns to being a fringe fringe title contender uh, in 2020 yeah i i don't have particularly high hopes for for this 
2019 iteration of the Badgers. I think that they are probably an eight win team uh, that that wins a you know a, a pinstripe level bowl again. I, I don't, That'd be great. You know, again the the rest of the West is getting kind of kind of tricky. Um, so it, those aren't gimme games. Uh, the Michigan game up here, I think, is going to be very telling. That that's like September 21st. I want to say it sure is. Um, so that's going to be exciting. But yeah, I, with Jack Cohn, you know, with Graham Mertz. He is the most talented quarterback that that Wisconsin has had on campus, probably definitely since Russell Wilson and you well, know. since Kurt Phillips, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it doesn't shock me that that Christ was not interested in, in start and you know stoking any fires yeah. there. I mean, I don't. But it also sounds like they they kind of threw the kitchen sink at him, yeah. uh, in practice and you know really kind of humbled the humbled the lad a little bit yep. because it, they really did make it sound like you know Cone and, and uh, whoever else is the second string quarterback <clears throat> are just head and shoulders above what where Mertz is at in his development apparently so yeah. uh, whether that's true or not I don't know but either way it looks like Cone's going to be the guy and I mean Cone was like a pretty decent recruit in his own yeah, right I know, I know that he didn't look great last year but you know I think with, with Qu- yeah. Quintus Cephas being back uh, um, Jake Ferguson I think it for fantasy purposes is going to be one of the better tight yeah. ends in the country this year there's some weapons around him if they can actually live you know live up to the or deliver on the promise of getting Taylor involved in the passing game I'm not sure that that's even a good idea necessarily um, but either way um, I think that there should be some easy completions uh, there for Cone but yeah mm-hmm. th- th- this this team will pretty much go as far as Taylor can can drag it yeah i mean you mentioned that receiving core which should actually be very good probably the best you know one through four receiving core that wisconsin's had you know in the last 10 to 15 years i mean they've had kind of the one or two guys each year obviously some good tight ends you know Aberderis had a a nice couple of years nick toon had a great year back in like 2011 um but i don't think they've ever had the depth of you know quintess sevis being back in the mix aj taylor danny davis kendrick Pryor. i mean this this is not exactly wide receiver you you know usually it's just whoever you can throw out there and you know hope that they can get you know get you eight yards on a third and eight mm-hmm. um but i i think this is kind of one of the first years where the that position is actually a strength yeah it's for deep. wisconsin yeah the other thing with graham mertz too is i i think wisconsin recruits so poorly that people think that graham mertz is like terrell Pryor or justin fields you know like he was a, a, a recruit who rose late and obviously played really well and, and created some hype in in the the postseason all-star games and oh, whatnot yeah. but like People are like upset that he's not the starter right now, which was just never all that realistic. You yeah, know, like he's, he's not Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> no, here, not at now. all. Uh, but to Wisconsin, I guess he is. Uh, do you want to do hard knocks? Let's get it. This was probably the best Gruden episode so far. I think I said that about episode two. I take it back. I This was an incredible performance by John Gruden. Um Right away, he was just fascinated by the team going to Canada. You know, he was musing about that in a meeting for like 45 straight seconds. I, th- I think he said, this is unprecedented, man. We're heading to Canada. And <laughs> no one else seemed all that excited. Uh, knock on wood. I mean, he's been saying this the whole time. It, it kind of felt like they were building towards, they had to address it at some point, you know, the elephant in the room. What are your thoughts on that as like this kind of team building motivational tactic? I just... I've always taken knock on wood to be like a, you know, like a, you know, you say something that, that oh, you don't right. hope it doesn't come back to bite you. <laughs> like knock on wood. It's, yeah. it's a very weird rallying cry right. for an NFL football team. So like it's, it's a classic Gruden where it's like, it's well-intentioned. It doesn't quite hit the mark, right. but just with the conviction that he goes <laughs> exactly. at it with, it works. Right. And if you, like you just said, if you actually think about it, it makes no sense whatsoever at all. It's <laughs> no. the complete reverse of what that phrase actually means. Like if you say, hopefully we win this game knock on wood it doesn't mean we're gonna win this game it means man you know we probably won't but maybe we will um that i love that they turned it into like a rap song 
like they, they like sampled John Gruden and turned it into a rap beat that they played over practice highlights. Yeah, that would be something that like I feel like if you were on that production team that you would have come yep. up with. <laughs> I don't think that's good, but thank you. I, uh, I think it is. I was actually fairly impressed by him counting backwards from 100 to zero by threes. Oh, that's what he. Okay, so I was actually in the middle of, of the of the. Uh, I was doing the pentathlon auction, so like I, sure. I would just kind of like look up and hear him counting and just like saying numbers. I'm like, what what is happening right now? Is he is he having a stroke right now? So he did it twice. I could see why you would think that. The first time he just walked up to I think it was it was a receiver or a cornerback like during practice, just walked right up to him and started doing it. And it took it took the guy you know obviously a while to to discern what was actually happening there. And Gruden finally gets all the way to zero and just kind of gives him a smirk and walks away. <laughs> Like it's n- no one said like, hey, coach, come over here and count backwards from 100 to 3. He just did it unprompted. And then there was later on towards the end, there was that incredible scene where it got into Gruden's, I think, youngest son training to become an MMA fighter. Yeah. And it was actually kind of cool to see like Gruden and his wife are like really into it. They're watching him train and they're being really supportive, which I feel like a lot of parents, my parents would not be supportive if I wanted to be a professional fighter. Right out of high school. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um but he, uh, one, he referred to his son as, quote, this little hamburger here, which I love. <laughs> and two, as he's watching his son spar with this trainer, he just started doing the countdown again do for you, no reason. Do you think that, like, he has some app on his phone that said that this is, like, a good, like, the, the counting down by three is a good way of, like, keeping yeah. his brain sharp or something? I, I, like, I, imagine, I, can, I can believe that, man. Three is a good number. <laughs> I uh, I would imagine he's doing this in his sleep subconsciously, right? He's just kind of laying there, like, 97, 94, <laughs> 91, 98. Almost certainly. <laughs> yeah, he definitely like wakes up yeah. and starts doing it again, too, or like while he's pouring his cereal. Yeah. I, I had the thought watching him in these meetings, like he just reminds me of a pastor in some ways. Like he's not the coach of this team. He's like the pastor of this congregation. And whatever he says goes, you know, the less you think about it, the more sense it makes. I like that comp. I, I think... Yeah, like you said, the less you think, the more it makes sense. But um, yeah, no, he's just he's sort of like it. Yeah, it's not the CEO type of presence. Right. It's more, it's less scientific. It's less, you know, hardline. It, it's you know, he likes to talk about the the camaraderie and the, and the team itself so much. So yeah, mm-hmm. he, he is kind of giving off those pastor vibes. And honestly, I think it's it's starting to work. Like I'm definitely drinking that Kool Aid from yep. from Pastor Gruden. Probably the low-key star of this episode. I, I know Luke Wilson got a lot of love. It was, it was another bad Derek Carr episode. We'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, I guess the co-star next to Brogan Roback, Brenson Buckner, the D-line coach. Wow. That Some is exactly – like, if you could build a D-line coach in a lab, like, everything from the look to the voice to the passion, not afraid to just get on these guys. Like, no, nobody – everybody in the room just looked worn down, beaten down, which I think is exactly what he wanted. Uh, I think like the defining quote from that montage was "Some of y'all's football sucks." Yep. <laughs> I think we're. I have a feeling we're going to be seeing that come back during the NFL season. Uh, I could imagine myself maybe tweeting that at the Jaguars account when they're down twenty-one <laughs> nothing to the Chiefs in Week One. Uh, but that was awesome to kind of see behind the the curtain of those type of meetings. And then they cut. I think they did this on purpose to kind of contrast him with the tight ends coach who is basically like a five years older Luke Wilson is like Luke Wilson's older brother. And they're just like going back and forth on these ridiculous topics. They're wearing those like Sherpa knit pullovers. They, yeah. They look, they do look like Sherpas or, yeah. or I don't know what the, and then uh, Wilson walks in and he's got his turned in the wrong way. And right. he's like, Oh, I guess I didn't get the memo yeah. to, to rock the all white one. <laughs> yeah. The tight ends room seemed considerably more chill than the, the defensive line room. You know, I'm, I'm surprised that they haven't featured like Foster Moreau at all because he's a, he's like a rookie tight end. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's because he's a rookie, but 
he got drafted and his name's Foster and he's like pretty cool. So like yeah. I, I would have figured he was like a big like, no more, personality yeah. at LSU. So I'm surprised that uh, he's letting Luke Wilson take his shine. I do wonder if some guys just do their best to avoid the cameras. I would imagine, right? I mean, like even like someone, you know, Josh Jacobs, you think would be a pretty interesting yes. first round running back. Has he even been on screen once? Not to my knowledge. No, not at all. And yeah, I would imagine that some guys just probably tell the, you know, because Luke Wilson was on Pardon My Take, and he mentioned that he was texting with the producers of the show, mm-hmm. you know, and they said like, oh, this was so funny, you know, we're cutting through footage. So they must, you know, I think you at least have the ability to be in contact with the guys. And, you know, if you're someone who doesn't want to be on camera, you probably just say like, hey, can you keep me out of this as much as you can? I'm not not going to do any antics that would even make for good TV. Um, I would like to see like a behind behind the scenes of how this all comes together, actually. Yeah, that, that would be dope because yeah it's interesting how they land on these very specific storylines and, yeah. and you know sometimes they, they end up playing out so well like the Devin Kajust one from last year did not play out well at all but like they picked right. Keelan Doss this year and it's working out beautifully he's been crazy impressive yes yeah. I was they, I was like hyped last week right they put again. together a montage yeah. of all the coaches praising him for like a minute straight it's incredible I like Doss man Give me, yeah, give me a playmaker. Go get me Keelan Doss. <laughs> like, I, I think it was late in the game, and like the other coach is like, "What? Like he's done, man." Like, right. just no, throw him back out there. Yeah, I want, man. I want plays to be made. Uh, other highlights: Jason Kambinda's mom probably broke the Guinness World Record for most excitement over getting tickets to a Canadian NFL preseason game. Just going to Canada in general. Yeah, right. I think she was ready and hyped. That was actually kind of cool to see how excited she was. I love that. That was extremely genuine. AB reading fan mail. I would imagine that he requested that you know oh, he's yeah. just it was just like hey can we get a quick shot of me reading fan mail uh he went to that high school game which essentially turned into like an antonio brown pep rally immediately um some some guy at the high school game like an old guy just walked up to him and was like you're antonio brown he's like yeah and he said what's the deal with that helmet blank man like just <laughs> asked him straight up <laughs> yeah and of course antonio brown like gives him a very polished answer um yep. i think during that game a georgia commit made a uh, an amazing touchdown grab that ended up being number two on sports center oh over the that weekend. was that game yes okay yeah i saw that clip on twitter Either that, or is that he that was from the guy from his high school i forget if aquinas was like out in california playing don bosco or something no for, my that, high school did not travel like that no. <laughs> minimum like maximum of like 15 miles yeah. yeah took the school bus uh we got a broken rollback appearance it was a little disappointing honestly um i think he did say though i'll, I'll see you at the mountaintop as if as if to imply that he's still working toward an nfl future which is kind of cool is he with the team right now not to my knowledge but um yeah i do yeah. i do well, envision a future where where max crosby and broken rollback are running the league <laughs> yeah well, i think roback is one of those guys you know you hear during the draft like you know especially late teams will you know the, you know, or i think the senior bowl or the combine you'll hear about this too where you know gms will say like these are the guys we want to see but they'll intentionally leave guys off the list i know this happens a lot in basketball because mm-hmm. they want other teams to think that they're bad and they're the only team that's onto them i would imagine that's what's going on with brogan roback is that he's not signed right now but some team you know has had their eye on him and as soon as they make cuts he's back i could yeah i could definitely see that that in you know he's He's good enough to at least be a third quarterback somewhere, yep. so it, it wouldn't surprise me if he latches on somewhere. You know, if if another team maybe has a backup injury. I mean, we saw it in Tampa Bay, although they got Vincent Testaverde over the weekend, and every, everyone that. was like flipping. Just go by out. Vinny, dude. I, I you trying to fool it, exactly, and people were still fooled. And then it's also like that yeah. guy could not get on the field at any college <laughs> level. So I'm amazed that an NFL team like he must have some yep. serious blackmail on the GM to, to get Vincent on there. My final note, Nathan Peterman, or as John Gruden calls him, Nathan Peterman. Peterman. Um, 
I mean, the game itself, pretty impressive. He had that long run in week two of the preseason, had a nice closing drive against Green Bay in week three. But my favorite moment was it was after one of the big plays as they were kind of making that final drive to, to win that game. He, uh, you know, rather rather than kind of commanding the huddle, I guess, as, as Gruden has asked or, you know, driving things forward, he took time between plays to say, quote, nice protection on that last one, guys. Oh, my gosh, that was great. <laughs> Which, could you imagine like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers saying that? I nope nope but uh you know oh my he, gosh, guys. he's got to do everything right everything he can to curry the favor of his teammates I guess so yeah he's <laughs> he's I don't even like no one even knew who Nathan Peterman was really before last year but he what a like I don't know if there's ever been like a more random ascent for someone like that who's been so bad yet continues to get opportunities and of course hard knocks goes to the team that he happens to yes, be on yes like, he's exactly just, he is not most guys like that are in and out of the public memory within like three weeks and it's been like a year and a half yeah it'd be like you know remember remember that time he had that terrible first half yeah and like that would be the end it's like of yeah it. i'm rooting like, for that guy usually that's <laughs> yeah you know that's that's the end for you but exactly not for him not for the peter man so uh this is actually a couple weeks old um but it, it slipped past our desks and it slipped, slipped past the desk of most this, this should be bigger news i think but the all decade team was released for i guess the decade that we're just wrapping up it it encompasses 2011 through 2019 um and i just wanted to get your thoughts on this i'm not going to read the entire thing we'll we'll skip maybe the the linemen uh but some of the notables at receiver justin blackman two-time blitnikoff winner amari cooper is the other receiver nick o'leary the tight end from florida state quarterback deshaun watson the running backs monty ball derrick henry uh linebackers luke keekley which doesn't even seem like he played in this decade that feels like forever ago does cj mosley uh and your man jarvis jones and then the defensive backs Micah fitzpatrick desmond king vernon hargraves mark Barron. the player of the decade was deshaun watson which i, I guess i agree with you know it, it it did seem like he came on a little bit late obviously had that great season and you know the game of the decade was clemson beating alabama in 2017 he was the hero of that one so you know hard to knock that um, but I feel like we could comb through and come up with quite a few omissions from this list. Yeah, I mean, I think number one for me, when I think of college football from this decade, I think of Johnny Manziel. Um, right. I just, you know, and again, Watson didn't win the Heisman, did win the national championship. So it, however you want to measure it, you know, the, the national title, more of a, a team accomplishment. Manziel in his first year coming out and winning the Heisman in the most just like disrespectful, like boisterous, yes. uh, I don't give an F about you or your family type of type of mentality. I just I thought Johnny was just the perfect guy d- it, during his A and M years. I thought that he he was a more memorable mm-hmm. uh, college player. Um, so I liked him. I mean, if you even wanted to chop it into like one year segments, like Cam Newton's Heisman season was was in 2010, and that was like the most unbelievable yeah. college season I've ever seen personally. So well, he just missed the cutoff, and this started in 2011. Okay, sure, yeah. sure. But yeah, I, I think Cam Cam versus Watson would have been a really interesting one if if he was one year later. Manziel, I mean, I, no NFL things are off the field issues are supposed to be taken into account, but you do wonder, you know, what that had to do with it. Sure. But in, if I, I I also couldn't find what like the actual mission statement of this team is. You know, is it just the guys who had the best numbers or you know if it's most unforgettable players it's Manziel over Watson I think I think so too and and you know I think that they they almost like waffle uh with some of these uh selections in terms of that criteria that right. you mentioned because you know like Ari Kwanjo like and, and Barrett Jones like yes both of those guys were like great tackles there that, yeah. that didn't really have or great offensive linemen there that didn't have great pro careers so like that makes sense um but like Watson again like it he 
reach the the team mountaintop, but I still feel like Manziel the more iconic college player for sure. Um, I would have gone Melvin Gordon over Monty Ball. Okay, I know I know you kind of argued with me on this one, and I, I it's not like Monty Ball is not deserving, but I I feel like Melvin Gordon had the better singular year. I guess Monty Ball kind of did it two years in a row, but I, I think Gordon's peak was quite a bit higher than Monty Ball's, and I think if he had that season in two or three other years in this decade he probably wins the Heisman um it's funny if if you compare his numbers to Mark Ingram's from his Heisman year like it's not even close like Gordon had like 800 more yards or something like that he just Uh, happened to be going up against I think it was RG3 that year yeah for for Monty Ball no uh Melvin Gordon oh Melvin Gordon that would have been that would have been the Marcus Mariota year oh no you're right you're right yeah that was well after Justin Blackman no brainer I mean one of only two uh two-time Bolitnikoff winners that's amazing the other being Michael Crabtree uh, that award's only been around since like the mid '80s, but still, I, I think you know there aren't a ton of receivers back in the day um, who you would point to as potential two-time winners. Who is Sutton Smith? Um, so he's a guy that racked up a ton of sacks at Northern Illinois, um, but absolutely no pro upside to his game at all. Never because, heard of this guy. I mean, he probably is the size of like an undersized linebacker at, at a Big Ten program yeah. or something. So. <laughs> Uh, played with an amazing motor and obviously got the job done and everything. But, mm-hmm. um, when I, I mean, just the fact that he's so far out of the national conscious, like you wish it didn't factor in as much, but at the same time, like no one remembers a Sutton Smith play like it, th- this, this list should, you know, appeal to people that aren't weirdos like me that know about nor- like Northern Illinois pass rushers. Yep. Yeah. My first thought when I saw that name was, you know, was this like a, I don't know if you ever played MVP baseball. Back in the day, oh sure, Barry Bonds wasn't on the game because he didn't want his likeness to be used or wasn't a part of the players' association or something. So they would have these fake players, John Dowd. Yeah, John right? Dowd. Like at first, I was like Sutton Smith. Is this like the John Dowd for J.J. being Clowny or something <laughs> yeah. like that? Because I think he's probably the most glaring omission. Yes, is Clowny huge? Like, I and mean, there's an obvious guy he should be replacing. That that the image of him knocking the the guy's head off in right. that bowl game is you know unforgettable one of the more yes. you know like lasting memories of the entire decade i would say that's the most replayed clip of the decade that you see on promos and you know commercial cuts and things like that like you see that all the time still that was what six years ago yeah so i mean you have you have that it was yeah the 2012 season you have like that you have like the kick six um what uh the Jameis winston fumble like the, <laughs> those are those are like the yep. the most re- and then of course like the hunter renfro uh, touchdown right. catch like those are those are the ones that everybody yep. remembers yep exactly so i wrote down a few other omissions menzel of course on there um i mean rg3 wouldn't have been an insane pick Jameis, you know wouldn't have been yeah, a crazy yeah. pick i mean guys like guys like rg3 Jameis, and menzel i suppose you know their their hits have taken you know their reputations have taken such a hit professionally that you kind of forget how iconic they were at the college level andrew luck i think was kind of like that marcus Mariota, yes um, definitely was, was, was in that category monte teo not being in the linebacker group was very surprising Clowney, of course aaron donald uh jj watt jalen ramsey were some of the others that that came to mind i mean they, they basically could have done a grab bag of of alabama linebackers and d tackles and that would have been totally fine yeah for sure and and you know you wonder like uh wouldn't the honey badger have also i guess he only would have qualified for one of these years oh, like 2011 right but i think some of these guys were just 2011 as well you know i mean uh, several players on this list were i wouldn't say one you know one year wonders but guys who had to wait their turn and you know either left for the nfl or really only had that one iconic year so i think he would have qualified top teams of the decade zeke too zeke was zeke, yes. zeke was like an insanely good running back for right. multiple years at yeah Ohio and won State. a national title yep top teams of the decade 
Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, Oregon, Florida State, Georgia, Michigan State, Stanford, and TCU. Michigan State? Michigan's I mean they they made the playoff but like they probably like don't even want you to bring that up because of how bad that right. went for them. I feel like I, I think I'm not even a Notre Dame guy but I would think Notre Dame belongs on this list ahead of Michigan State. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty surprised by that. I mean, you know, some of the other like big programs that you could think of that that definitely like fall short of this, yeah. you know, like your USC's has have been down for the most part. Um Florida's been down for the better yeah. part of this decade or or you know like they, they would win the East, but it was a weak East, and then they would get blown up uh, yep. by Alabama. Texas, of course, being down for the better part of this decade as well. So it sort of opened the door for a Michigan State or a TCU to kind of like land here. But it's, so, it's almost like the list, to me at least, and obviously maybe a little bit of bias creeping in here, but the list like ends at seven, I feel like. Yeah, I agree. I think it's safe to say Wisconsin would be 11 on this list. Honestly, they have to be knocking on the door. Yes, they, they absolutely should. They've been yeah. nothing but successful, nothing but solid. Um, yep. and Never getting the playoff, though, hurts, and losing all those Rose Bowls. Yes. that. <laughs> I think that's what's the difference between that them hurt. and TCU. TCU beat oh, them head-to-head head in a Rose Bowl. All three teams that beat them in a Rose Bowl are on this list. Oof. Yeah, yeah so. it's tough. Uh, but yeah, always a fun exercise. I went back and found Sports Illustrated's all-decade team from from our decade, the, the you know the golden decade, two thousand to two thousand nine. We don't have to analyze this too much because it was over ten years ago. But quarterback Tim Tebow, no brainer. Running backs Peterson and McFadden, also no no issues there, right? No, that those are both rock solid. McFadden yep. was so, and Peterson was ridiculous at Oklahoma. Good yeah. lord, P- Peterson is. I mean, although no Reggie Bush. Oh. The, Oh, are they really doing that? I mean, he was. I don't. Well, I don't think it's because of the Heisman thing, if that's what you mean. I, I don't know what the what they would have done then. I mean, I do love McFadden and Peterson. I think they he's over. He's over McFadden. Yes, yes, at the very least. Yeah, Peterson. I, I, Peterson's a tough one, but I mean, I love Darren McFadden as much as anyone, especially Arkansas Darren McFadden. But Reggie Bush belongs on there. Receivers: Fitzgerald and Crabtree yeah i mean no issues there studs and like you said uh crabtree suit i mean a two-time blitnikoff award winner and just amazing amazing college player yeah my favorite college receiver ever and i think a lot of people's favorite college receiver tight end kellen winslow i'll buy that fine i I gotta admit i can't remember a ton of like great tight ends from leonard pope i guess from georgia during that era (laughs) of Um, course the offensive lineman ryan clady who of course had the ceiling block on the the statue of liberty to beat oklahoma Steve Hutchinson from Michigan um, really only played one year in that decade, so that was kind of strange. Greg Esslinger, great center out of Minnesota. I think everybody born in Big Ten country knows about him. Okay. Duke Robinson at Oklahoma, Jake Long at Michigan. Uh, David Pollock, one of the defensive ends. I, I mean, I buy that. He was oh, yeah. he was amazing in college. You know, yep. what, what happened to him in the NFL is terrible, but, right. um, you know, he— it's been for, so long since he's played football that that yeah you just kind of forget that he was that good. He was he was basically like what Jarvis Jones was to the to the um, to the Georgia defense in the part yeah. in the the earlier part of this decade where he was just a force of havoc and you right. don't you never really knew how but he just got it done. It would be so tough to explain to a, like a college kid now like this guy talking on college game day who has probably lost like 40 pounds since those days used to be like the most feared hitter in college football yeah exactly it's it's amazing uh yeah the di- like this stark difference in mm-hmm. appearance now rest of the defense terrell suggs tommy harris and dominican sue i think all those are great great selections linebackers aj hawk Derek johnson one of my first favorite players just looked awesome one of the first player i remember wearing those half sleeves yeah, for Texas, yeah, yeah. which were 
you know, as, as someone who was starting like fifth grade football at that time, that was, that was a huge development. Jeremy Shockey also used yes, to wear those. He sure did. Um, Roy Williams, I believe Te- Texas and Miami were always ahead of the curve on that kind of stuff. Very fashion forward. Patrick Willis, another linebacker, uh, Antoine Kaysen, one of the cornerbacks. Vaguely, like I remember him a little bit, but um, I mean, just going back to the linebackers, is there a better unit on this list than the linebackers? Because I mean, between Willis, Hawk, and Derek yeah. Johnson, I'm not sure that there is. That's that's an imposing that's trio, and I don't know if we'll ever crazy. see it again because linebackers kind of devalued relative to. I mean, yeah. they don't. We don't have the Patrick Willis's roaming the roaming the yeah. middle of the field anymore. No, that's actually a very good point. Um, Kaysen was a three-time All-Pac-12, Pac-12 Freshman of the Year, Thorpe Award winner in 07. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's fine. Derek Strait from Oklahoma. Don't remember him so well. Yeah, I was going to say, don't remember him. Ed Reed, uh, I think played two years in this decade. Certainly that was more than enough. And then Eric Berry rounding out the secondary. I mean, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't Sean Taylor make a little bit more sense? I would think so. Yeah, maybe they didn't want to go to Miami guys, but... Look, when you have to go to Miami guys, you just you just do it. Yeah, I, that's what I think. And, and for as good as Eric Berry was, I mean, I, I still think that maybe I mm-hmm. just don't really associate Reed. Like I associate Reed with like the beginning of the decade in right. the NFL, basically. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of tough. It's a little bit fuzzy with, with you with the way you want to quantify it there. But mm-hmm. um, I I love either uh, Sean Taylor or Ed Reed there. I think both those guys were just unbelievable. Okay, uh, last thing, real quickly, we. We got to look at the new song. We knew it was coming. It's not Imagine Dragons, weirdly enough. The the intro college football song that you will hear on every single commercial, every single lead-in to the big night game on either ESPN or ABC for probably the next 15 weeks or so is called Let Go by Judah and the Lion. They are a Christian band that, according to Wikipedia, has uh, started off like very Christian and now they're getting less Christian. So that's a, tr- that's a troublesome interesting trend. development. Yeah, right. You'd think you'd want to be going the other way. I don't know what I mean, it's so weird that this they sound so much like Imagine Dragons that like of course ESPN is staying in that lane. They're, they sound like they like if, if Imagine Dragons had like a triple A affiliate, it would be <laughs> Judah and the Lion. That's such a good way of putting it. Cause that that is it, you know. The way that this genre has been created, it's like its own thing, right? The, 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 the college football song every year has an, it has a tone to it. And yeah. um Recently, I had my mind blown uh, when someone told me that that like "Whoa, it's Saturday Night" song was not by Fall Out Boy; it's by the Panic at the Disco. I was like, "No way!" I thought but, that was. But like, again, like, it, it could so be any band of that ilk. You know, like they say, like we like we have a type of song that we want, and you know, these five bands can make it. We don't care who it is; whoever puts the best one forth. Yeah, just kind of. Like, it's got like a chant going, yep. and like this a one whoa. has that too. Yep. Kind of like an echoey, whiny chorus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you you kind of want to give the effect that you're in an echo chamber. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think the, the the best thing you can say about it is, as soon as you heard it, you're like, "Yep, this sounds about right." Yeah, right? this like, is no very one was surprised brand. by the tone that this that this song took. It'd be yeah, it'd be weird if the if they really changed changed their stripes at this point. They got to mm. keep going with with this strange new invented yeah. genre of hell. I accidentally found this out while I was researching, but they will be in Madison at the Sylvie next month. You know, I think we. I, I almost for like we, we should go. Yeah, for research purposes. Yeah. Just see if we can get a press pass to this. A little field trip. I like it. I've been dreaming Thinking that maybe We're all gonna win Cause I've been losing sleep Fighting something 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.